Hello, nerds, friends, librarians, and all you ilk. Welcome back to the SS Librarianship Podcast. Oh my god, we've had such an awesome two weeks, Sam. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. W- welcome aboard to anyone who's here because they listened to the panel episode and wanted yeah. more. We're so happy to have you um, on board. It's it, The panel episode was so great. It brought on, I think, so many different people and got a really awesome conversation started. Yeah. Um, we're, again, so grateful to everyone who participated in that. Like, we we really just provided the frame. And so yeah. we were so glad to, to have such brilliant folks provide the content. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of the future, uh, this week we of course do our always mind grapes we get back on the nerd boat with that one Mm -hmm. um because we kind of missed out on it last week so it's really kind of a rapid fire Um, rapid fire and then we spend 20 minutes talking about mad max well yeah so worth it (laughs) it's great um and then on the second half on the on the back half on the back nine if you're into the sports metaphor um we're talking about the vancouver public library's new inspiration inspiration station no i'm kidding no no the inspiration lab um (laughs) it's a really amazing creative digital space that uh that's been open for about a month Mm -hmm. um brand new it's uh pretty innovative it's kind of what like the future of libraries right yeah yeah i mean you know we're always gonna do what we've always done which is connect people with stories and skills and each other and there's just another way to do that and so i've been lucky enough to actually be able to work on and in the inspiration lab Uh, and so yeah I kind of I go a little off the rails. I talk a lot yeah. in that segment, but it's because I'm so excited about that space. Well, it's kind of like the one a couple weeks ago where I just ended up talking about the framework. Totally. <laughs> it's very similar. <laughs> also, Sam, you're more than welcome to reach across the table and slap me next time I say the future of libraries because um, <laughs> it is one of the worst phrases in our profession. My so. boss just turned to me the other day as she was in her <laughs> office and she was like, why do people still use the phrase library 2.0? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a very good question. But I guess um, let's see if we can figure out if people are still using Library 2.0. Uh, without further ado, let's get this one started. I'm Ali Sullivan, and I completely forgot what my thing was going <laughs> I was wondering. It's okay. Let's just keep Which going. What was it going to be? I'll fix oh, all I of remembered. this. I remembered. I'm Ali Sullivan, and blood mages. It's always blood mages. <laughs> and I'm Sam Mills, and what do Elon Musk and Kanye West talk about? The future. <laughs> and us too, apparently. Well, Sam, what's, what's been on your mind grapes? What have you been up to since the whirlwind that was the British Columbia Libraries Conference. Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, I have been reading a little bit more uh, than I ordinarily do. Actually, I guess it's going to be like a pre, pre, pre plug for um, <laughs> a possible podcast that might possibly be coming to yeah. a podcast service near you. Not being done by us. <laughs> um but uh, a couple of friends and colleagues of ours, uh, Matthew and Anna, who've both been on the show before. Hi, guys. Hey. Um, are thinking about turning um, the book club for masochists, which <laughs> some of you may know about, into uh, a podcast. Yeah. And so basically, it's Matthew has this little uh, Raspberry Pi that's rigged as a random like genre generator. Mm-hmm. And so it'll spit out 
a genre every month. I think the next one's two months away because summer vacation. Right. Um, and everyone in the club has to read a book of that genre, regardless of whether it's a genre you would ordinarily read. Yeah. Um, so that's the masochist <laughs> that's part. the masochist part. <laughs> the idea, I mean, both Matthew and Anna, um, bless them as young, young librarians, are really into reader's advisory, which yeah. I feel like a lot of young librarians kind of vault over into like more attractive digital territory. Yeah. But it's a really important skill. Sure. And so part of what they're trying to do with this club is kind of like hone those skills and talk more about genres that are outside of our particular comfort zones yeah so i signed up for it with them i actually didn't end up making it to the first meeting but i sent some notes and the first genre was historical romance (laughs) (laughs) much to many people's (laughs) yeah and i think actually i hear i was the only person who actually enjoyed my book oh so and i haven't been reading a lot lately i've been reading some comics um like dc and some hawkeye and some uh sex criminals which you let me but other than that i haven't been like i haven't read a novel like, I probably yeah. since i i haven't been February. reading but i have clocked <laughs> at least 43 hours in dragon age inquisition so um i've played three hours of cat lateral damage in the past <laughs> week so i'm right there with you it's turning my brain off but um, dragon age is probably a lot more intellectually taxing yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah gotta gotta um, close them fade portals but, uh, but i digress i will talk more about cat lateral damage in a minute okay, okay. um <laughs> But uh, I read the other... Uh, no, wait. I read The Constant Princess by Philippa Gregory. Yeah. I almost read the other Bowling Girl because it was the only one I had kind of heard of in that right, series. Right, right, and right. then a friend of mine who actually has them all overheard the conversation and was like, no, 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 no. You start with this one. <laughs> and gave me The Constant Princess. And to my surprise, I actually got really into it. So yeah. um, Philippa Gregory writes like Tudor era... Um, kind of late late medieval, I guess, mm-hmm. historical romances. A little more emphasis on the history than the romance in some of them, which yeah. actually I, I appreciate. <laughs> so um, when I was like an, uh, a teenager, you know, 12, 13, 14, mm-hmm. I was so into Philippa Gregory books. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever I back read then. All of them, like <laughs> it was, you know, it was like something my mother and I did together. You know, like we yeah. would we would both read the books and then we would talk about them. You know, and it's it's like it's like the same way we watched the Gilmore Girls. Like my mother and I were dead, like hardcore fans <laughs> of Gilmore Girls. Shaking with silent laughter but, because my mom and I, like our equivalent of that, would yeah. have been like reading. Asimov and Card and watching Star Trek: The Next Generation, like we're so not into. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but this one is uh, about Catherine of Aragon, yep. um, who is you know Catalina of Spain in the beginning of the book, um, and it goes through her entire life story from being like the daughter of Isabella, this warrior queen, mm-hmm. keeping the Moors on the run, all the way through to um, marrying um, Henry, Henry VIII. VIII, and before him marrying um, his brother Arthur, who yeah. died young. Uh, and it's just fascinating. It's all from her point of view in mm-hmm. first person. And it's it's really a lot of fun and in a lot of ways probably quite anachronistic. With oh, like yeah. sort of the voice of the, the woman who she sounds, I think, a lot more contemporary in her thought patterns and her attitudes than, oh, I'm sure. um, than is expect. realistic. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but really, like you really get into the, her headspace and what it was like to be a woman, even a powerful woman at a time like that mm-hmm. and how fragile the Tudor hold on the throne was and oh because um, Henry was such a baby the fact that it touches a little on Ferdinand and Isabella was really interesting to me because mm. I think 
maybe in one of our very first episodes, I talked about um, Past Watch, yeah. which is my favorite Orson Scott card book. Right. And it also touches a lot on the reign of Ferdinand and Isabella, but more about Columbus, who is really just a footnote in mm-hmm. um, in The Constant Princess. So yeah. I enjoyed it so much that I immediately leapt into The Other Bowling Girl, which takes place <laughs> later. And it's so interesting because um, she does so well shifting from one woman to the next. Like, yeah. You're inside Catherine's head and you're angry on her behalf, sort of at what's happening near the end of her marriage with Henry and his insistence on dissolving it in favor of Anne Boleyn. Mm-hmm. And then in The Other Boleyn Girl, you jump backwards in time yeah. to the beginning of his courtship of Mary Boleyn. Yeah. And you're inside Mary's head the entire time as she watches, as she first becomes lover of the king and then watches Anne become this like megalomaniac yeah. and sort of wrap the king around her finger and mm-hmm. and you know what's coming because you know history but you're yeah. still just on the edge of your seat waiting for like <laughs> Anne to actually become queen and like yeah. how many people is she gonna fucking behead by the end of this right. book and, and poison and whatever and it's it's a lot of fun yeah. and the prose is very well done like it's yeah. not you know Shakespeare to invoke yeah. a name from the era, but it's um it's really well written yeah no yeah. like I never I never disliked them I mean, I I loved them, but I think I just kind of like, I I kind of fell out of them. I think the favorite one, and I can't remember exactly what happens um, because I probably read this book like 15 years ago, Hmm. but um, one of the ones she wrote is called The Queen's Fool. And that one's really good. And I think it might even have some kind of a supernatural element to it. Um, Which sounds weird to me, given the ones I've been reading, which are very grounded in the history of the period. Yeah. So... uh, if I remember correctly, the Queen's Fool is about a young girl and her father who are Jewish and they're trying to escape the Spanish Inquisition. Like that's their kind of driving mm-hmm. force. Um, Which is also kind of a footnote in these Tudor books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this one kind of drags the Spanish Inquisition yeah. more into the forefront. Um, and she ends up becoming the Queen's Fool uh, somehow. I can't remember. It might have been after the Tudors, like like Henry's daughter, Mary, right? Uh, okay, so like Mary, but before Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that that's the case. Like, I think, um, yeah, I think what happens is she yeah, becomes... Yeah, there are so many people called Mary yeah. in these books <laughs> that I'm still sort of like, which one's gonna become, like, yeah. the Mary that tries to oust Elizabeth or vice versa? Yeah, because... Yeah. I'm just rusty enough on the history of all of this mm-hmm. that I'm actually, like, sort yeah. of... The suspense is working for me. <laughs> well, because Mary was Henry and, and, and Catherine's daughter. Yes. Yeah. So she came to the throne when Henry died, but she also... She remained Catholic, though. She remained Catholic, which, yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think what happens is she becomes Mary's fool, Hmm. but then when Elizabeth takes over... Sounds accurate, because Mary was kind of nuts by that point. Yeah, and... And and I'm seeing why in this book, like, with her still a child, like, looking at her parents and the way they're behaving (laughs) towards each other, you could totally tell why she went crazy. Yeah. (laughs) So so then I think, but I think then she ends up to weaseling her way into Elizabeth's court somehow, too. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so that's an interesting one as well. Kind of a different... I don't recall there being much of a romance in that one, so I think it's just, you know, hysterical fiction. But um, <laughs> as my mother would say. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a little of that in this, but I'm really mm-hmm. impressed with the female voices in these books. And and Mary especially is... Um, like, Mary Boleyn is very... Um, I think also atypical in her yeah. attitudes, but she's a really interesting figure to watch it all through because she 
after a while, especially after becoming a mother, sort of takes a step back from court life and yeah. realizes she actually cares more about her children and her estate, mm-hmm. uh, you know, out of the edges of, of London than she does about anything that's happening in court. And yeah. so you see it sort of through this ironic distance yeah. as Anne becomes crazier and more powerful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know how much further I'll go beyond these ones. I'd like to see the other Bowling Girl movie just to see yeah. if it's any good. Yeah. But, um, but I think I'm going to try and like leverage the fact that I've read these two quite quickly and I seem mm-hmm. to be back in reading mode to like read some other things on yeah, my list. That would be a good <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little bit like cotton candy. Let's put some substance there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I mentioned cat lateral damage briefly. So that's been my other discovery. And like people who follow me on, uh, I think probably just Facebook so far, but I've probably seen me post about this, but it's this video game that just got released on Steam. Yeah. It's like nine bucks. Yeah. And it's, you're uh, you're a cartoon cat in a cartoon house and your owners are gone and you're pissed and you trash everything. Yeah. And for every object you knock to the floor by punching it and swishing it with your little kitty paws, you get points. Nice. And uh, eventually if you get enough objects in a certain amount of time, you can unlock like getting to trash the supermarket or the museum <laughs> or whatever. And um, Justin and, uh, Justin and uh, Griffin McElroy, who mm-hmm. are on a couple of podcasts we love, but also work as video game journalists for Polygon did mm-hmm. a review video of it. And it, it's hysterical. I yeah. will link it in the show notes because this sure. is a very like simple game compared to the games they usually review. Yeah. And so I'm not sure how much of this was staged, but basically <laughs> the setup in the video is that um, Griffin had gotten Justin on the call with him to watch him play this game and review it under the pretense that it was one of their like two minute quickie reviews of like cheap little steam games. And then Griffin starts treating it like it's like this serious video game with all of these serious mechanics and like (laughs) things you need to achieve and makes the call go on for like 25 minutes while Justin is just like going ballistic at him. So it's definitely worth a watch. Their uh, their let's plays are always really funny. Yeah. Well, uh, the third McElroy brother, Travis has a new podcast as well, which is really good. He does it with, uh, with, with Brent Black. I like this. We're doing a bunch of like my, Grape shorts this yeah, week. Yeah, okay, let's keep going because this is it. really yeah. good too. Oh, because we didn't get a mind grapes two weeks ago. True, so true. Early, but yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's called with tra- uh, no trends like these. Trends like these. Yeah, and um, it, they they follow up on like internet trends, so it's very time sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's only been three or four episodes so far, but it's really good. I mean, I've always loved Brentel Floss. He's one of those like. You like the old time YouTube guys. Like he was on YouTube kind of before YouTube was a thing, you know. So yeah, I've never watched any of his YouTube stuff. I've just kind yeah. of heard the McElroys mention him once yeah. in a while. Yeah, so he's he's a really cool dude. I've I've always enjoyed his stuff, and I mean Travis McElroy. Sometimes I think that like Griffin is still my favorite, but I think that Travis is kind of the best comedically. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he's yeah. gotten a lot. Um, He's come into his own, I think, a little bit as a performer. Like, I feel yeah. like the other two, because maybe because they had more of a following, like, in the video game world when the show first started. Mm-hmm. Travis sort of was sort of the odd man out sometimes yeah. in the early days of Mabim Bam. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he's definitely not the Cameron of the group anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like he's, uh, he's definitely earned his podcasting chops. And he's on, like, four podcasts right now or something yeah. like that. I think that's so. good. Well, he moved out to L.A. to be an entertainer, and that's where all the kind of digital media... Yeah, because he's also producing Baby Geniuses, I think, Mm. as well. He does some work like that, too. 
Oh, very cool. You know, it's it's a great show. It's really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk they talk about internet memes. and their music is fantastic. Like, yeah, I mean, we lucked out <laughs> with having like a Jonathan Colton song accessible to us. But one of the things we talked about early on was like, we're sort of both musicians. Could we do our own music yeah. or something? And then yeah. we kind of chickened out. Yeah. But Brent Black is a musician, and so yeah. he wrote this great music for trends like these. And totally, it's, uh, they have these really great little transitions. It's it's really really great. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely recommend it. I have to say, when they first said that they were going to be talking about what what's been happening on the internet during the week, I was kind of like, well, uh, that seems like not a very sustainable <laughs> or interesting concept for a podcast that's going to yeah. be aimed at people who already hang out on the internet all week. Yeah. But actually, they've had some really interesting takes on certain yeah. phenomenon. And, yeah. and they've um, really taken pains to sort of, yeah, find stories that they can really latch onto and get an mm-hmm. angle on. Yeah. Um, anniversary yeah. of Leroy Jenkins was pretty great. <laughs> yeah, was... and their discussion of um, Shia LaBeouf was kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Of the Harry Shearer contract disputes around on The Simpsons. Sure. And, yeah, they picked up some interesting ones to talk about. Yeah, and, and the Shia LaBeouf one, I was like, I I thought from the get go that that must have been some kind of art project. He was basically doing a Matt Foley impression. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like, <laughs> like people people thought he was serious. Like, I don't know. Oh. So I don't understand. Yeah. Anywho. I think I may have offended an acquaintance of mine, actually. <laughs> a friend of mine posted it, and my comment was, he basically just needs a van down by the river to complete this, and I didn't get any response. So I think Aww. maybe he was like really motivated by Shia LaBeouf, and then I like kind of was snarky about how he basically <laughs> sounded like Chris Farley. <laughs> but he did. He did. That's so good. Uh, so, okay, okay, so what about you? I mean, oh, yeah. we've both been listening to trends like these. Totally. Um, um, so I guess the thing that's been occupying a, you know, grand part of my brain space, um, is actually due to a bet that I had with, not a bet I had with intern John, but more like, uh, like an agreement. Uh-huh, we we yeah. had an agreement where, um, if, if a I went, people sacrifice, if yes. you will. Yeah. So, um, if I went to see Mad Max Fury Road with John, mm-hmm. he has to come see Pitch Perfect 2 with me. Typically, Mad Max isn't really my sort of movie. It's a little bit kind of too gonzo, violent, wacky, crazy times. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it came out and I started seeing the articles about it, yeah. I, I started being like, I think I need to I think I need to give John another movie. Cause the buzz I, around it was so interesting. It was so yeah. interesting. And then and then I saw it and just all hell broke loose. That movie <laughs> was the best thing I have seen in years. Um, it was awesome. It was like it's just great. It's just I great. Just go see it. Just like, you have to experience it. Like, just totally blown away and like drained in a really good way by a movie experience in a yeah. really long time. Like I yeah. think the last movie I felt like that coming out of was probably Gravity. For, yeah, I guess a different set of reasons, really. But like, oh my yeah. god, it's just so good. Um, so spectacular. The performances were great. It's a movie like logically it should not exist like i mean people have basically compared the plot of that movie to mario kart and they're not wrong no but it was gorgeous yeah. and it was so beautifully done and yeah did you hear the stuff before it came out about how they started shooting without a script that doesn't surprise me yeah no, no see it doesn't surprise me now i now having seen it i totally get it you can yeah. make a movie like that and have it be basically a pop masterpiece yeah without a script yeah but when i heard that early on i was like oh it's gonna be garbage <laughs> <laughs> But the the filmmaking style yeah. really lent itself to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh my god, it was just it was just so good. It's it's hard to say like what your favorite part was about it. Like, 
I don't know. I think despite the fact that it like had some of the coolest women performances I've seen in a really long time, not just from Charlize Theron, but I think from the from the wives as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I just loved Nux. I just yeah. love Nicholas Holt. He he's did just, such a good job. He's just when oh, I saw someone recognizable in that role, I was like, ugh, like this is going <laughs> to take me out of this. But he did such a good job. Yeah, no, he's such a he's yeah. a good little actor. That guy. Yeah. So I mean, should we do we we need to set it up for people? Maybe like to be uh, not everyone knows the backstory of that Max because until recently it was like you know a thirty year old property that no one had done anything with in a while. Right? Not without trying. It yeah. turns out. Yeah. No. So. The reason why it was uh, was so important to us was that John loves the Mad Max movies, the mm-hmm. original ones from from the eighties. He's just well, um, he likes he likes. Uh, so what is it? There's there's Mad Max, there's Road Warrior, and there's yeah. Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah. So he loves Road Warrior. Mm. He also likes Thunderdome, despite the fact that he knows it is a you know kind of a kind of a terrible movie um and he says like mad max the original is pretty good but they're road so warrior he like loves post-apocalyptic movies yeah but the first one takes place like really soon after right? yeah kind of like during and after i'm yeah, pretty sure max, like, i haven't and i don't think yeah. this has changed over the course max is supposed to have been a cop in our world yeah right yeah and i think that with the new movie that timeline continuity gets a little bit skewed yeah. i don't think it's still supposed to, it's kind of like it's the same max but it's kind of so anyway so so john like loves them um they have influenced so many of his like nerd life choices um (laughs) so you know always loved them was so excited so apparently they've actually tried to do a lot of stuff with the mad max franchise over the years like there was a movie that was going to come out that was actually still going to star mel gibson that would have been a complete travesty. <laughs> that would have been a horrendous movie. Um, and then there was going to be like an like a like a digitally animated, like a CGI cartoon version, which probably also would have been a nightmare. Yeah. And so they just kind of like sat on it. And then just like it's like it's like a perfect storm, you know. And yeah. they let the original writer and director of the first three movies come back yeah like He's that's the thing 70s. it was george miller's you know i don't want to say baby it's, his, it's quite it's, a deformed it's, baby but it was his, his magnum opus yeah you know? his from the beginning and he has done some weird like combinations of things oh yeah he's a totally bizarre like, he made filmmaker. babe yeah which no, is he actually didn't also make babe. one he of made my babe, pig in the no, no no he made both he worked he on both oh, yeah okay, okay. and like because pig in the city is a weird i feel movie. like in very different ways babe and this new Mad Max Fury Road movie are both sort of perfect versions of the movie they're trying to be. Yeah. Like there isn't anything excessive, but mm-hmm. it also doesn't feel rushed. And yeah. like, yeah. Um, it was just, it was. Well, and that, that's been really so funny because some of the coverage about, you know, how dare there be like women in this movie. Um, <laughs> some of the people who are saying things like that are like talking about the originals and sort of as a separate thing. And like, it's all George Miller. It's all his vision. Of, yeah this you know apocalyptic desert future and and mad max has always been kind of the you know the man without a name who gets dragged into adventures well and it's always i mean my understanding and i haven't seen the other ones since i was very young and i don't really remember them but um my understanding from reading more about the old movies and the new is mm -hmm. that they've all shared this vision of excessive masculinity as being toxic yeah and they're and they're needing to be a balance Mm -hmm. and so the introduction of the wives and of the mothers as well um, in this film was really interesting because yeah. it brought that balance back in. There was a fantastic um, article that I read about that. But mm-hmm. He's not saying women should, you know, 
rule the world with an iron fist. What he's saying is that toxic masculinity, when left unchecked, is toxic. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. the who killed the world question, that's yeah. kind of the answer. <laughs> like, and the other the other really kind of great critique I've seen of it is, um, so uh, Lindsay Ellis, who was Nostalgia Chick, um, but um, that whole, like, that whole empire is kind of going by the wayside. She now does um, stuff with her own channel called Shea Apocalypse, and so mm-hmm. a bunch of the people who uh, were on that guy with the glasses, there's some political stuff, and a bunch of them have moved over, but she's not really doing Nostalgia Chick anymore. Her um, one of her latest projects is something called Loose Cannon, where um, she kind of talks about canonical representations of different concepts. So um, her most recent one was on death. Before that, she did one on Hades. So like all these different interpretations on film and other media of these concepts. And so hmm. she did a mini episode with Mad Max when Mad Max came out. And um, one of her really interesting kind of interpretations is how much it's a movie about stuff, like how stuff is so important. Yeah. And how this movie kind of breaks that because it says women are not stuff yeah so it's great (laughs) um loved it super and it was was fantastic you know after seeing all of the i don't even want to dignify it with the word controversy but after seeing that there were some extreme you know sort of really toxic masculine views around this (laughs) i don't even want to dignify them by calling them activists either but um I really was expecting it to be preachier. Yeah. And it really wasn't. You it know, just had some female characters that were not property or sexual objects in yeah. it. And instead were part of the plot and part of the relationships that drove the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, I in think that it, sense, it's really kind of a perfect feminist film. Yeah. Because it, I mean, you know, I'm sure there are nuances where you could pick that interpretation apart and people have, but, but there is, representational equality yeah (laughs) like yeah and it's one of those funny things too where it's there's there's a there's a conception that like there, there are these studies that have been done where if you show people a crowd shot and you ask someone who's looking at that the photo of that crowd how many of these people like what is what are what do you think the men to women ratio is Mm Men will count, or not men, people in general, because we're all raised in this patriarchal society, will in general view it as an equal crowd when the crowd is a what was it like a like a third women mm, less than mm-hmm. a third women and as soon as and it if hits, it's half women if it's half women they're like oh this crowd is overwhelmingly women yeah like mostly women because normal representation to us is overwhelmingly male not to yeah. mention white and heterosexual and everything else yeah. right yeah and so so seeing a little bit seeing growth in any kind of representation that isn't white and straight and male freaks some people out. Yeah. Um, And I mean, in a sense, that's a good place to start having a conversation. And I've had a lot of really interesting conversations with people lately around Mad Max and other things. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, it's kind of a sad place to start too. Like it's, it's sad that like having the hero of the film be a woman and having her be surrounded by both men and women, slightly more women who are helping her be a hero. Mm-hmm. is is this travesty that has to be complained about all over the yeah. internet is just it's yeah sad. I mean, it it's, a, sad. it's a minority of people it but really, it's a minority it feels of like loud they're in people. their very loud death throes yeah. as a movement so that's a good thing yeah. but uh, the other thing i found fascinating about this movie was the editor was a woman yeah margaret i can't remember her last name right now but i will link it and apparently she was given Something like 4,000 hours of footage. Yeah. And then she carved this out of it. Totally. Which is like, 
an amazing feat for anyone. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I think, and Miller has said this himself, that part of what made it more than just your average action movie was her style and her, um, I don't know, just her like female gaze or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there, yeah. there are different ways that men and women view the world. And I think mm-hmm. maybe she had fewer of those locked in. This is what an action movie is supposed to be. Yeah. Um, attitudes. Yeah. Than a male editor might, although might not also. And the color was fantastic. <laughs> the color was fantastic. And yeah. the, the, um, the speed, like the action scenes went by really fast, but they didn't feel blurry. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was beautifully done too. Oh, it was just, it was, it was just so easy to follow. It was just flawless. Yeah. And I mean, the one thing we really have to talk about too is how fucking awesome oh. was the bard. <laughs> <laughs> no, his name's Doof Warrior. Oh my and, god! And yeah, that and was he's pretty wearing great. Wearing red pajamas that and was, playing a double electric guitar. That was that shoots fire. And oh my that god. was that was pretty awesome. Not gonna lie. Just in case you were in danger of taking the movie too seriously, he was <laughs> you, there. You got Doof Warrior. <laughs> um, so basically, if you haven't gone to see it, and even yeah. if you really don't think it would be your kind of movie, you owe it to it yourself to go see it. Yeah, just just give it a little bit of a shot. It's it's definitely worth it. Yeah, it's going to be a thing that people are going to keep talking about and holding up as an example for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. So is there anything else? <sighs> I don't think so. Yeah, I've not been doing much else except for Mad Max and dragon age so i mean yeah mad max is kind of yeah takes up some brain space i kind of want to go see it again yeah and we'll talk about it again absolutely <laughs> so one of the more interesting kind of uh job interview questions i've been hearing about recently if mm-hmm. i've you know talked to a couple of people who've gotten this as a job interview question and i think it's a good one um is what do you think is one of the more overrated library trends Hmm, yeah, because there are a lot of them. There, we can't do them lot. all. Uh, yeah, like library stuff. It's a moving target. We're coming up with new ideas all the time. And, you know, you could you could go hacky with it and you could come up with something like QR codes um, because nobody uses QR codes for anything. Come yeah. on. Yeah, but, I mean, if we know people don't use the advanced search, yeah. why do we think they're going to download a whole app just to, like, read a link? <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> we could definitely talk about that. That's yeah. something that... But even those are a little bit outdated. So mm-hmm. what's something that people are talking about a lot right now that I that I think is kind of overrated um, and it's it's the physical makerspace mm-hmm. like laser cutters 3d printers all this stuff don't get me wrong it is super cool mm-hmm. it's real cool and I think that people are doing absolutely incredible things with them and and, and having people have access to these spaces is really great but I wonder about its actual utility I wonder about its sustainability. Uh-huh. Like those things aren't cheap or free to run. And you're constantly having to load up with new materials, right? Yeah. It's not a one-time investment for the library. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, and there are a lot of maker spaces in cities springing up in other ways through yeah. collectives and co-ops and yeah. And that kind of thing. So while I think that maker spaces are a great idea, I wonder to what extent the library needs to be that kind of place. Mm-hmm. Um, however, mm-hmm. if we turn that a little bit probably just like you know turn it 90 degrees you take it and you turn it you take it and you turn it and instead of um you know focusing on creation of physical objects if we focus instead on creation of digital objects Mm -hmm. now that's an idea that i can really get behind yeah 
Um, so, you know, teaching people how to do their own voice recordings, how to make their own podcast, how to digitize their family photo collections, mm-hmm. how to do a lot of the stuff that, um, how you to know, publish an ebook, how to publish a huge an self-publishing movement in Vancouver yeah. right now. Yeah. So like how to, how to do these things and how to give people access to these kinds of technologies, um, that maybe require a little bit of ongoing maintenance, but don't require a constant stream of material input Mm -hmm. right and I think I would argue to have a much um, more deep and meaningful connection to the mission of the library which is to connect people through stories and allow them to share stories with each other absolutely and um, to that extent (laughs) (laughs) I think we can talk about uh, a really cool thing that's happening at Vancouver Public Library. Um, So we've alluded to it a little bit. We may have mentioned it here and there, um, but it's up and running. It's been up and running for about a month now. Yeah, just over a month. And it is this amazing creation space called the Inspiration Lab. Mm -hmm. The Inspiration Lab, not the Innovation Lab or the inspiration space or there's been a lot of oh, like yeah. um deeth deeth if he's listening is guilty of this he just sent me an email calling it like the innovation space or something like that. <laughs> that's a doubly wrong Come on. And, and these adorable langara students who i think i maybe alluded to who put up a video of their like little exploration of the lab right. and interviewed steven and i for it i think they called it the uh innovation lab yeah Something like that. Anyway, Inspiration Lab. Inspiration Lab. And uh, yeah, I've been lucky enough to work on it, not not from the ground up. Um, Mm -hmm. It was, you know, definitely a sort of top down idea from the trustees of the Vancouver Public Library Board and also from a lot of people in the city who were kind of clamoring for these kinds of resources and this sort of space and this sort of um, programming as well, sort of learning more about digital creation. Not just basic computer skills. Yeah. And so I haven't been able to interact with it a huge amount just because my time has been eaten up elsewhere. Uh, haven't been working at Vancouver Public as much. But uh, you've been working with it a lot. I literally just taught a class in it yesterday. Yeah. So um, <laughs> it's it's awesome. It's fantastic, Sam. What does it actually have? What are, what are the facilities that it's okay. giving us access to? Um, so it's about, I want to say... 8,000 square feet, mm-hmm. so about half of one of the floors of the Central Library in Vancouver. Um, one of the first questions we get is, did you did you get rid of books? From the sort of, you know, people who've been mainstays in the library for a long time. Yes. We did not. Um, Got rid of all the books. It was this really interesting we just, process. We, we threw them away in the garbage. <laughs> no, 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 no. Where they no, belong. It's not true. We didn't do it. Um, and it's a valid question, right? Because yeah. we want to continue being the library as well as being this new kind of space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a really interesting process because, and I don't know how much of it was planned linearly like this. I think there was maybe, there was definitely an overarching vision. But basically, in 2012, 2013, um, the what they call the transformation in VPL speak happened, <laughs> which was, um, I mean, in a lot of ways, it really is very descriptive, though, because yeah. basically it was a it was a total transformation of the departmental structure in the library, mm-hmm. especially at Central. The branches didn't change quite as much, yeah, um, but basically, more more. instead of having subject areas covered on each floor and separate Dewey runs for those subject areas on each floor and separate experts among the staff for each subject area on the floor. 
the building was transformed so that one floor was the digital services department and one floor was programming and learning, which would take on central responsibility for all the teaching and programming across the, the library. And um, one floor is the information services division, which does all the frontline reference work. And mm -hmm. so there was that transformation. And then the following year... that's kind year, of the back-end transformation. Yeah. And then the following year in 2014, so last summer, um, they did what they called the Central Collection Reorganization, mm -hmm. which was transforming the collection into a single Dewey run throughout the, the building. Yeah. And that made enough space for the third thing that happened in 2015, <laughs> which is the construction and completion of the Inspiration Lab. Yeah. So... No, the collection was not excessively weeded, yeah. <laughs> but room was made for this really great space. So basically, um, the way we divide it up when we give tours of the space is there are four parts to it. There's a video, I think, being produced right now. I don't know if it's available yet. I'll try and link to something like that. But um, basically, the biggest part is the sound studios. There mm -hmm. are four um, small kind of one to two person studios. They've got like state of the art computers with recording software on them. Mm -hmm. um, they've each got a webcam and a desktop microphone, but they also can be hooked in with like a mixer and some of the nicer um, C1 and C3 microphones. And then there's a larger room called the live room, which is kind of perfect for like podcasts or maybe small musical groups. Um, mm -hmm. And again, computer and microphones in the same space. And then <laughs> there's the larger studio. Uh, it's named after Terry McBride, who's a big mm -hmm. figure in the Vancouver music scene and right. founded Network Records. Um, Sarah McLaughlin, Hey Ocean, American Ladies, lots mm -hmm. of bands like that. And that's actually a full-on studio. Yeah. So there's like an 11 by 17 um, studio space, which, and all these studios are pretty much soundproofed. There's a mm -hmm. little bit of leakage. It's not perfect. Yeah. But, and then attached to that studio space is a control room with the more complex mixer as well as another one of the high performance desktops. Mm -hmm. And so you can really, you know, go to town in that one if you've got somebody who can be your engineer. Yeah. Um, which I've gotten to do a little for the Vancouver Special Podcast, which mm -hmm. has been pretty fun. So that's kind of the, the crown jewel of it, <laughs> because yeah. we're the only library, I know we're the only library in Canada, we might be one of the only ones in North America to offer that kind of support for creating digital sound, yeah, for creating music and podcasts and spoken word projects, and um, also basic things like if you have a job interview and you have nowhere else to go to do it, mm -hmm. you can come in and Skype in one of these sound booths. Yeah, right? absolutely. So there's, there's also serving that part of community need as well. Um, so that's kind of the really, really exciting thing about it. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot else that's going on as well. So <laughs> there's also a focus on um, video production. So there's mm -hmm. a green screen and a really great HD camera with like a rollable dolly that you can use. Right now, pretty much in the Terry McBride studio, that 11 by yeah. 17 space. But um, I think there are probably movements afoot to maybe allow it to come out of that space a little. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Although, you know, we have to guard the equipment, too. Yeah. Um, then there's a presentation space with, like, a big round kind of couch area and then benches behind it. And so you can fit about 16 people there. And it's got a nice big um, HD screen for teaching classes or giving presentations. And that's going to be bookable by the public as well. Mm -hmm. So... You can, you know, come in with your friends and look at vacation photos or give a presentation for school or whatever, which yeah. is pretty cool. Um, and we were all being trained up on, like, how to use all the apps that <laughs> go with the screen. Yeah. And uh, there's another screen space as well. And I can't remember what the, like, official term for it is, but it's basically a wall of four big screens. Mm -hmm. um, right now, a lot of the time, it's showing 
photos of Vancouver in the past from our historical photos collection. Right. But the idea is that it'll be um, a display space for things people are making in the space. Awesome. <laughs> so every time someone's working on a project, we're like, send us a link when you're done. Totally, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then finally, there's what's probably kind of the backbone of the space, which is the digitization and creation area. Mm-hmm. So we've got a whole um, area on kind of the outside of the space with... 4, 8, 16, 32, I think 30, uh, 20-something computers maybe, Yeah. Um, some of which are hooked up to machines that can do things like digitize VHS tapes mm-hmm. or um, cassette tapes, or we've got some scanners as well and some inserts for the scanners so you could do slides as well as photographs. Right. And a lot of community members like immediately came in and started taking advantage of that. I have this old tape of a birthday party. I have these slides that I don't have a projector for anymore, and so that's yeah. been really great. Um, and there's all kinds of like instructions for those, but uh, also there's the creation stations, which just have all of the design software. So right. they've got Audacity and Reaper, which we use for sound editing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can record in the booth and then take it over to a station and edit there. Um, there's always headphones available, and then also things like self-publishing software, um, digital art software. We've got the whole Adobe Creation Suite, and uh, oh, video editing software. So Adobe mm-hmm. Premiere. Yeah, nice. So. It's a really, really exciting space. <laughs> so that's the physical space. Yeah. Um, but we're trying to do more than just offer the space. Right. So there's also been a lot of development of um, help materials. So we have <laughs> LibGuides, good old LibGuides. <laughs> I actually made some of those before yeah, I left. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Um, so we made them ori- originally like for internal use to train staff right. <laughs> on things like sound recording and video editing and digitizing photos and whatever. And then uh, we adapted them a little so they could be available to the public. Mm-hmm. And then we also have a subscription to lynda.com, which yeah. people's eyes light up when you tell them they can get lynda.com for free through the library. Absolutely. And at home, too. They don't have to be at a library or... They, they have to be um, a, a resident of Vancouver. Oh, okay. To be but, able to use it from home. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, like if you've got a VPL card, but you're not from the city, then yeah. you can use it in the branch. So it's not perfect, but I hear it's the first institutional license that lynda.com has ever issued. So really? <laughs> it's still being worked out. But universities have had it. Um, I feel maybe like public institutional yeah, licenses. Yeah, because I, I yeah. know that there's some universities that have had lynda.com subscriptions. Yeah, because SFU has it for students. For sure. So I think it's maybe the first one that's been this widely available. Because oh, okay. it's easy to become a VPL member. It's not so easy to become an SFU student, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> there was something where it was the first. Right. Um, and then we're also teaching classes. Cool. But, you know, I mean, there's we have some people in the library who have expertise in these areas. And it's been a really interesting process, kind of like leveraging staff talent, even if the person is in a, a work position that has nothing to do with that thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's been really cool. But we're not experts. We're learning alongside the people who come. And so mm-hmm. the other really exciting thing that hasn't happened yet but is in the works is to bring in people from the community, organizations from the community, who could teach in the space. Yeah. Which would be really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's free. It is totally free. And we, yeah. we get that question. It's so funny. As public librarians, we're kind of like, uh, duh, it's free. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's not the case at every single public library, not even in Canada, mm-hmm. for services like this. And so, yes, it is totally free. Yeah. Um, you have to have a VPL card. Okay. But that is free to get. Yeah. And you don't have to be a resident of Vancouver itself to get one. Yeah. Um, and you have to, you know, make sure you have that card with you when you make the booking and be comfortable giving us your name and a description of what you want to do in the space. Yeah. So so how like 
how much are people allowed to access the space? Because I can imagine like yeah. someone sitting and just monopolizing a scanner all day. Because that <laughs> that's t- that's that's really time consuming. The team that put this um, space together. And I was really just a teeny tiny part of that and kind of at the tail end of like, we're starting to put programming together for this space. Let's bring more people in. Um, but Erin Rickbeal and um, her whole team have worked on that long and hard. <laughs> and what they've decided is um, three hours per day per type of station. Okay. And then you can only book as far as two weeks ahead. And then I think there's also some limitation on how many bookings within a two week period. Okay. That makes sense. But all of that is flexible right now because they're trying to see how how rigid they need to be and whether yeah. those are the right numbers and all of that. Right. There's been a ton of just like um, feeling things out as we go along <laughs> with this space. Yeah. And so there have been hiccups along the way. There have been people whose man- expectations haven't been managed as well as they could be. But for the most part... And um, anyone who follows uh, our good friend Jonathan Kift on Facebook or Twitter will probably have seen this. There's been a lot of staff coming out of there just being like, I am so happy to be working in this space because you get people who are just so enthusiastic and Mm -hmm. happy to be able to access this stuff. And they're working on such interesting projects. And it's just fantastic. That's cool. So so a lot of it has kind of been... A little bit, a little bit seat of the pants. What would you say is like the biggest challenge that you've faced with the space so far? Um, I think coordinating all the different departments that are contributing to the space, whether mm. it's the management of the equipment or um, manning the space, like having employees there to help people and to deal with the you know people in people out flow, um, or things like programming and teaching or you know creating documentation and help materials and that kind of stuff all of that's coming from programming and learning from digital services from systems um, children's as well and so those are all separate departments which although they try really hard to work with each other can get kind of siloed sometimes Mm. and there can be lack of communication or miscommunication or you know who at what level in which department is in charge of this particular aspect of the programming is morphing and changing. And so Mm -hmm. that has been a challenge. And I think for the most part, it hasn't leaked too much into the, like into the public eye, Yeah, (laughs) but it's been a little bit um, of a challenge for people working behind the scenes, just sort of like, who do I report to on this? And like, who can give me a final answer on this? And and we're working on it. Yeah. (laughs) Has there been any challenges with, like, as you said, managing patron expectations? There's been, like, a few. Um, I, I just wonder, I mean, maybe this is just because i me, but, like, have have you had any problems with people trying to, um, you know, misuse the equipment or damage the equipment or, like, people who just have no idea what they're doing and get frustrated, like... How 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 well or how well is the staff kind of dealing with with that kind of aspect, the human element? I mean, of it? I can only speak for myself and what I've seen. And I've taught one class down there and had a few shifts where I'm the sort of info staff person on on duty. But um, I think the biggest challenge for a public library on a project like this is that you have this really diverse user base. Mm-hmm. And when you've never offered services like this before, you can do all the research you want up front and you're still not going to really know what's going to happen when the doors open. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, the reception has been really positive. People are really happy that this is available. Um, they have some questions about where the money's coming from, which in um, 
large part has been donations and fundraising. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been a relatively easy question to answer. Um, There have been a few instances of people just like not being sure, both staff and patrons, I think, not being sure what the service expectations are. Mm -hmm. So there have been people who come expecting more expertise or maybe more work to be done for them. That's been pretty Mm. rare, but it has occurred. Um, And also it's been a big learning curve for staff. I mean, some of the employees at VPL have been just like super gung ho about this from the beginning and really enthusiastically learning. I mean, I think everyone's been enthusiastic about the learning, but it's been easier for some than others. Like Mm -hmm. the audio portion of it, because we have this history doing this podcast has been really easy for me, but helping people with the digitization equipment um, or with self publishing has been more of a challenge. See, I could probably pick up on stuff like that. (laughs) I worked at the digitization lab for so long. Yeah. Um, And yeah. So, you know, all of these departments, because they're so new, are full of people who are able to be flexible, which is yeah. great. But uh, but yeah, figuring out exactly how much help to give people is tough. And I think anyone who's worked on the front line in a public library knows that feeling mm-hmm. of, I have so many people who need my help. They all need help with different things at different levels. How do I balance this? How do I move mm-hmm. around the space and make sure everyone's getting what they need, right? And so, uh, so how is it being staffed? Um, there's basically two levels to the staffing. We have, um, program assistants who are kind of the front line and they do a lot of the, they do all basically of the bookings, um, and then checking people in and out. And that includes setting up the rooms with, you know, whatever microphones or other equipment has been requested or pulling out a slide tray for people who are using the scanners or whatever. And those guys have been fantastic. Um, I think Mm -hmm. they were mostly hired internally from like people who are already working as, um, shelvers or as library assistants and they've been a really great team and then a few different departments are contributing information staff so Mm -hmm. I think mostly library technicians and um, librarians and the person who's info staff at any given time is responsible for that kind of service piece right where someone needs help learning how to do something or the computer's acting up on them or they've never used a VHS digitization machine before or whatever um, so you know it's a lot of the same skills that you would use to help somebody with the photocopier or with filling out government forms or whatever but it's mm-hmm. different content yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's cool um what is what are the has there been any talk like it's it's a brand new space it's it's just open um has there been any kind of like future planning or contingency planning for for the lab or are we just kind of seeing where it's at now and then you know seeing Um, where it develops i'm not privy to discussions at that level (laughs) as a like frontline librarian one so i'm sure there is lots of discussion Mm -hmm. about how we're evaluating the space and the use of it um how are we gonna you know keep on justifying it down the line sheer numbers alone (laughs) i think we're gonna be have a pretty easy time of justifying it as a service because it's always full of people yesterday it was a really really sunny day here in vancouver oh yeah and it was the emptiest any of us had ever seen it yeah. There were like only three people showed up to the class we taught yesterday, which mm-hmm. was good because it was a pilot, that class. Right. Um, and then I think maybe throughout the day, like from like nine to six, uh, there were or 10 to six, there were maybe seven to 10 people who mm-hmm. used the space. And yeah. that was nothing compared to like every other day since it's yeah. been open. <laughs> so. We should, those of people who don't live in Vancouver should know that when it gets hot and sunny in Vancouver, like your first couple hot and sunny <laughs> people days, people are year, like sweet metal people, from heaven. Yeah. People go don't outside. go inside. Like, it's kind of like, yeah. if you've ever been to London, 
and you're walking <laughs> down the street on like a busy weekday in London and uh, it's lunchtime and it's sunny out. Yeah. Like every available green space is just filled with people in their shirt sleeves being like, oh, sunshine. Yes. It's very much the same here. Yeah. So uh, on, on Vancouver, you can count on it being super dead if it's sunny or if it's very, very rainy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if it's just kind of your normal piddly Vancouver day, yeah, Which it's going to be real busy. Yeah. But. Um, yeah. But I guess <laughs> there's been just there's been lots of discussion about, you know, what do we do next? Like, yeah. we're piloting all these courses this summer. Mm-hmm. How do we incorporate them into our ongoing offerings? Are they yeah. all going to be incorporated as ongoing right. offerings? Um, how do we make sure that people outside of just the staff who are developing these mm-hmm. courses because they have those particular skills? How do we make sure other staff are able to teach this stuff too? Yeah. Um, and then how do we bring in those community partners, right? Which right. is super exciting. And anytime anyone comes to the space and they're like, I work for Vancouver Community Radio or like I work for this game company or whatever, whoever's there, information staff will like pounce on them and be like, so you're going to come teach a class here, right? Yeah. <laughs> like give them Aaron's Well, that's not terrifying. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I've had a few people be really genuinely interested in coming in and teaching yeah. about coding or game design or audio or whatever. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So how about this one? Like then just like blue sky for you. What, what would make you excited? What do you want the space to look like in the future? That's a really good question. I haven't really thought beyond just sort of (laughs) survival, managing my workload as someone who works in this space. Um, But I think, I think that that would be a big part of my vision because librarians, I mean, we always emphasize this in things like, the job search tour and the small business tour, which you've taught before, mm-hmm. or really any of our digital literacy classes yeah. and the classes that we're doing in the lab, we emphasize that we're not necessarily subject experts in all these areas. We're mm-hmm. not sound technicians, yeah. for example. Um, we have some expertise and some ability to learn enough to get people going and to learn alongside them, which is a really you know essential librarian skill. Yeah, But... I think we now have the opportunity with this space being public and free and with people being really excited about it right now Mm -hmm. to bring in people with that expertise and to, to do what we always do with all of our partner programs in the library. And we've had tons of those for years um, since long, long before I worked there. It's really important for us to develop those relationships and bring those people in so we can be the, um, I read an article recently where they were talking about the library as platform Yeah. And that's such a good way of thinking about it, Mm -hmm. right? That we can be this vessel or this sort of facilitation space for um, people who might not otherwise have the space or ability or time or whatever to to share their knowledge, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So bringing in uh, Victory Square Games, which is a company in Vancouver, have been approached and they might be our first um, partnership program. They're going to come in and like give a little thing about how to design a simple video game. Mm-hmm. And I really hope that that kind of stuff continues. And that's yeah. the thing I'm really excited about. I mean, yes, I love sharing what I know, <laughs> but I know that what I know is limited. And as a librarian, I'm a jack of jack of all trades by trade, which means yeah. that going really deeply into we're, one we're area expert is, generalists. is hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, so having, so using my skills at facilitation to allow other people who know something really deeply to share yeah. that with the community is, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. sort of my blue sky <laughs> for it, which is not that blue sky. Cause it's something that my colleagues are actively working on. So sure. that's really exciting. I know I sound like a PR machine from the inspiration <laughs> lab right now, but honestly, I really am this excited. Yeah. Um, and I mean, 
I've talked a lot about like people making stuff in the space, but I can give some examples. If yeah, let's you want. go. Let's so, go. Let's finish up with um, that. So Vancouver Special is a podcast that's being done by library staff about yeah. the last 20 years of history in Vancouver. And that's really exciting. Um, I'll throw a couple links into um, the news friends from Langara mm-hmm. <laughs> who came in and did their little video and they used the green screen a little. There's also a woman who came in and did this really beautiful rendition of Get a Job Jane on her ukulele. Mm-hmm. And she posted the video um, and that was all using our equipment. Um, there have been people putting together things like, um, I helped a woman last week who had this, uh, VHS of a music video of herself when she was in like an eighties rock band and she was (laughs) editing a few different songs (laughs) together to like make this like reel of her singing. And it was like full on like eighties rocker hair and like, Oh, it was amazing. (laughs) It's so exciting to sort of watch these little pieces of mm-hmm. like undocumented history just in people's lives or around the city that might yeah. otherwise go, you know, just that VHS tape would just break down eventually and right. some kid of hers would toss it out and instead it's becoming this digital object that she can send around and share and uh-huh. other people can enjoy. And that's really exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yesterday I taught the very first intro to audio class. Cool. <laughs> I only had three people out of eight show up because it was so sunny, mm-hmm. but that was okay because it was the very first one and I was really nervous because it's, um, it's not like with our other digital literacy classes where we are in one space yeah. giving a presentation, right? Mm-hmm. Instead it's, so we're over here and we're doing a little bit of a presentation and then we do this on the computers and then we go to the lab and or go to the like studio and we record something and then we yeah. upload it and then we go back and we download it and we work on it and yeah. <laughs> but it worked so well and I had this group of three people, two of whom were musicians and yeah. one of whom um, wanted to record like voiceover work for like marketing and sure. stuff like that. And um, I had gone down to the children's department and borrowed a bunch of percussion instruments. Nice. So that when it came time to like learn how to record, if they didn't want to talk into the mic or sing or anything, they could just like shake a maraca and we'd still have something to work with. And the two musicians actually ended up sort of impromptu like singing. Like they, they learned how to make a click track in Audacity and then they sang to it for one track. And then we added another track and we all did the like... Uh, percussion <laughs> instruments and nice. it was this great little like piece of impromptu music and so when we went back to the editing stations to learn the basic editing tools in audacity we had yeah. this piece that they had made to work on and it was so cool that's awesome <laughs> yeah so it's been um it's been a really really fun part of my job lately and cool. um anybody who wants to know more can get in touch with anyone at vpl me included to yeah. learn more about it we've already had a couple librarians from like seattle and from vancouver uh, island come in and be like I have to go home and talk to my bosses about this. <laughs> so. Well, it sounds like it's uh, an awesome space and totally innovative, and I'm I'm really excited to see what uh, what how how it keeps transforming and, and what it becomes. So, yeah, um, if you're if you're in Vancouver or you ever visit the Vancouver area, it's definitely worth stopping by. And if you've made something in the Inspiration Lab, like yeah. totally let the library know, let us know. We'd yeah. love to see it. Um, if you know of similar projects going on elsewhere in other libraries, we'd like, love to hear yeah. about that too. Yeah, great. So Inspiration Lab, not Inspiration the Innovation Space Lab. Inspiration Lab. Well, it sounds like it's cool. Um, <laughs> yes, that is the takeaway of the like yeah. last. 40 minutes of me babbling at you it's cool and you should come okay (laughs) so um we were talking a little bit up top up front about how um how a lot of people have joined since our episode a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. ago which is great welcome 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 we're we're 
we're today as it currently stands this very second um we are at 899 twitter followers i think we can get a thousand share this episode on share twitter it make sure you make sure you follow us on twitter if you live don't already. tweet while you listen we love when people yeah. live tweet while they listen and it's the so older funny. the episode the more entertaining it is and i just live tweeted a roderick online episode from like a month ago because yeah. i felt like it it's awesome um and and if it helps you guys um, live tweet the episodes to know that whenever I get a Twitter notification on my phone, it's um, the, you know, the Legend of Zelda fairy going, hey, which is really, really irritating. You guys, she Irritates leaned away from the mic when she did that. So it was so much louder for me than yeah. it was for you. Yeah. It's probably still going to be loud. My, is you. my ear bleeding? It probably, probably feels like it's bleeding. a little bit. <laughs> You'll be all right. Don't worry about it. Um, so if that helps you, if you want me to hear Navi every time you tweet me, yeah, it'll happen. You can do that. <laughs> and um, also, you know, if you're new to the show or even if you're not new and you just haven't gotten around to it, hop on iTunes yeah, and throw us a review and a rating for the show that yeah. will help us creep up the rankings, which would be really, really awesome. Yeah. And, um, you know, subscribe if you haven't already. You don't have to do it through iTunes. If your yeah. podcatcher of choice is Podcast Addict or Stitcher or any of those other wonderful things, I use um, you can subscribe to us through pretty much any of them. Yeah. it's it, We've got an RSS feed. It does, that all works. Yeah. And yeah. if people want to know more or find all the links that we say we'll throw in and mostly we do, yeah. where do they go? We can... You, you you can find everything on sslibrarianship.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very simple. So that's where we have, you know, more extensive show notes. We'll put a links to a lot of the stuff we're, we're talking about. Um, and you can also do amazing things. Learn more about us. We have mini bios on there as mm-hmm. well. Um, you, we also have a store uh, where you can get yourself some SS Librarianship swag uh, in the form mm-hmm. of buttons. We have so we, many buttons. Um, we got a little nervous and... <laughs> Uh, stuff about uh, BCLA this year because of hosting the panel and so yeah. we weren't as on point about having buttons with us to sell yeah. so if you missed us and you want one yeah, let us that's know. where to get one yeah. and, uh, and also you know take a troll through the archives we've totally. got archives that you can search by tag or by keyword or just by scrolling back through the calendar absolutely and uh, if you know the buttons aren't quite enough you can always uh, we've got a donation link up on the website as well so uh, if you know this, this thing doesn't run on happy dreams and good thoughts it does require a little bit of money so if you'd like to help us out with that, um, we would be eternally grateful. Mm-hmm. And I guess all that's left is to thank <laughs> Jonathan Colton, as usual, for the use of our theme song, Glasses, off the album Artificial Heart. Do we got some cruise news? Uh, do we have some cruise news? Well, we talked about how excited we were about some um, newcomers like mm-hmm. uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick and Matt Fraction, but it's really exciting to see that all kinds of folks who were there last year are coming back. Yeah. Um, John Scalzi and Pat Rothfuss were awesome last year. Um, Amy Mann and Ted Leo are going to be back. Jean Grey is going to be back. Merlin and John still have not announced that they're coming back, Ooh, but well. hopefully they are. <laughs> I was um, actually also really happy to see Janet Varney. I think she's one of the, I don't know if she's ever done the Joko cruise before, but I don't think um, so. she's a really amazing comedian, a uh, voice actor and podcaster. So um, she's, she's definitely worth checking out. Um, so if you're already going on the cruise and you don't know much about her, um, check out her podcast under the Nerdist banner. It's called the JV club. Um, and it's, it's really great. She interviews uh, women and um, during the summer, boys of summer, um, about <laughs> kind of their uh, their youth and their upbringing and their high school I'm experience. I'm going to check that out before I hop on board. Although I got to say, too, last year I meant to 
get all boned up on everybody's work and then I didn't <laughs> and I still had a really amazing time yeah. like discovering them in person and totally. I think it made me a little less nervous about running into people like Jim Boja or Jean Grey or Ted Leo or whoever in the hallways because I didn't know as much about them <laughs> it's like how the first time I ever met John Roderick I didn't know really who he was I just knew he was the dude who was touring with Jonathan Colton and had written the theme song for my brother my brother and me so yeah. I was able to have a coherent conversation with him yeah and then the next time I met him I was like a gibbering mess because I knew nice. who he was and really respected him. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and also, if you're listening to this from Seattle and yeah. you haven't been to VoteRoderick.com, please do. Please do. Because yeah, he's running for John Roderick is a pretty amazing dude with some yeah. pretty amazing ideas, and he's running for his first and hopefully not last seat in public office. So yeah. definitely check that out. And so I guess that's it for us this week. Um, it's getting hot out there. Stay cool. I'm. I did that by cutting off all of my hair. It's adorable. I think it's cute. Um, so I guess that's it for us, this guys. And as always, we'll catch you on the proverbial flip side. Can I go now? Mm -hmm. Is it good? Mm -hmm. Can I go? Mm -hmm. Is it good? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh <laughs>